Seated. Bruce, I got to ask you where you got that sunflower from. I've seen some tall sunflowers, but I think that one <laughs> takes the cake. So that's, that's amazing. <laughs> it's good to be back with you guys again. It's been a while since I noticed something about you. Um, you're looking older. <laughs> In fact, as I look at many of you, you're looking a lot like your parents did. <laughs> so, <clears throat> many of you know I was preaching at Gospel Chapel in Brimley for many years, and the uh, the week of my <clears throat> final message, one of the older ladies in the congregation came up to me and and said, uh, "You know, I'm going to miss you." I know you're better than the person who's taking your place. And I thought, I said, that's a nice compliment, but how do you know that? And she said, well, I've been here for five passes and every one's been worse than the ones before. So <laughs> that was the <a> joke. <laughs> um, I was thinking on the way here this morning about the faithful pastors that have been in this church, and I'll run through a little list, and you, you can kind of nod your head if you remember these. So, Pastor Melma, that goes back a ways. Anybody still remember Pastor Melma? And then uh, Pastor Stedjink, and I know that the Birkenbosses will remember Pastor Stedjink. That's really the first one that I can remember. And then we had Pastor Baker for many years. Remember Louis Baker? And then uh, Pastor Feinart who married us, um, and then Brookema, and then <clears throat> Pete Harkema, and then um, Reverend Essenberg, right? So and it was about the time of his ministry, I think, that uh, was the last one that I was actually an, a real active member in this congregation. So a little update, I guess, on, on my history for those of you that are interested at all. So I'm not teaching anymore. Gave that up after 52 years of in the classroom. So, but uh, my wife and I are still pretty active. My grandson, with uh, who has three of our great grandchildren, just bought the property between us and Brandon. So, can almost name that Postma Street here pretty quick here. So, um, that's been something. But that's going to come with complications because. Tyler and Britton have their house for sale, and if it sells, they don't have a house to live in yet. So my wife has graciously offered them the main floor of our house, which, thanks, Lynn. <laughs> no, I'm, I, was, I was okay with that idea, too. So, But it could mean that our house becomes really active for a while till we help Tyler build a house so that they can move next door. But um, I've been busy doing some fishing. My son, Chris, in Muskegon just bought property that contains maple trees, so, of course, um, it's kind of in my blood. So, um, been making maple syrup with my daughters in Grand Rapids for many years. Just, we're, we're trying to expand Postmore Brothers, you know. So, so, Chris and I just bought a sawmill, and he's got, he had red pine trees on his property. We cut a bunch of those up for lumber. We're going to build a sugar shack on Chris's property, and it's going to be Postmore Brothers 3. So, hope you don't mind, Kevin, if we're doing a little. I don't expect we'll ever compete with you, but this kind of, I can't help it, you know, so 
The boys have this one up here pretty well under control, but you know, every time spring comes around, I just I want to go tap some trees. So we're going to expand our operations. So we're going to be looking at John chapter six this morning. Your bulletin says we'll start at verse sixteen, but I cheated a little bit. I got to give you some background on that. So we're going to start actually in John chapter six. I'm going to begin with the, the first verse. John chapter six is the longest. Uh, chapter in the Gospel of John. We won't cover the whole thing today, so relax if you got roast on the stove or something. We'll get you out of here before noon. Um, quite a bit before noon. But we're going to start in John chapter 6. As we do, let's ask God's blessing on His Word. Father in Heaven, You're a gracious God, and You have given us Your words, Your Word this morning. We ask that as we look at it, that you would bring to our understanding that which you want us to hear. So we ask your blessing on that in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 6, I'm reading from the NIV. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. John uses that word miraculous signs instead of miracles um, many times. And, and let's just look a quick peek at John chapter 20. Um, familiar words to many of you. In John chapter 20, looking at verses 30 and 31, where John records, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So this chapter will contain some of those miraculous signs that Jesus did. And we'll also find out that some of the people that saw those miraculous signs got the wrong idea. But many of them got the right idea. But for our benefit, we look at these miracles or miraculous signs that are recorded in Scripture for us to remind us that our God is a big God. Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. And by chapter 7, he attends that Passover feast. Now he's, he's not in Jerusalem. He's in Galilee um, near Bethsaida. <clears throat> when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where should we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Why did he ask Philip? Why didn't he ask Judas, you know, who controlled the... Why didn't he ask Peter, who was always quick to respond? Why did he ask Philip? Who knows? Raise your hand. I'm a teacher. Can't help it. Raise your hand if you know why you asked Philip instead of one of the other guys. Come on, you guys. It's not rocket science. Dottie? I saw you raise, you didn't, that wasn't. <laughs> Anybody know? Well, the, the answer for that question is found us in John 2, verse 11. It says, Philip, who was from Bethsaida. So, this Philip, it's in Philip's hometown that Jesus is speaking. So, of course, he would ask Philip because Philip knew where, you know, the grocery stores were. So, all right. <clears throat> he asked only to test him. I said, all right. He already knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, eight months' wages would not buy enough bread that each one, for each one to have a bite. Philip must have been a mathematician of some kind because he looked at these people and calculated it out, figured out, okay, 
<clears throat> it's going to take more than eight months' wages. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Andrew's kind of cool. In Scripture, Andrew's the guy that brought people to Jesus. He's the first guy that brought Peter to Jesus. And then later on <clears throat> in this chapter, he, he brings the lunch to Jesus. And then later on, when, when some Greeks wanted to see Jesus, Andrew's the one that introduced him. So Andrew has a bit of a good reputation that way. <clears throat> he said, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far would they go among so many? All right, barley loaves. You think that was um, food of the rich or food of the poor? Anybody know? I'll tell you. It's the food, it was poor food. So if you wanted you know, good loaves, you made it out of wheat. If, if you couldn't afford wheat, you made loaves out of barley. So indication. This kid came from kind of a poor family, but still willing to donate everything he had. And the, and the fish... Kind of like smelt in terms of size, right? So there's not a lot. It, it, you got a couple, you know, loaves and some fish. That's all he had, but he gave it. That's all. Sometimes that's all we have, but God, and we give it. God's going to watch how God blesses this gift. You already know the story, of course. But Jesus said, "Have the people sit down." There's plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down. About five thousand of them. By the way, this is the only miracle that's recorded in all. Four Gospels other than, of course, Jesus' resurrection. But of the signs and wonders that Jesus did, this one gets the most press. Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets. Why 12 baskets? Because there were 12 disciples, right? So they each had a basket. So they filled their baskets, 12 baskets, 12 guys collecting, right? With the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. What about the fish? I think they must have liked fish better than the barley loaves because they had barley loaves left over, but it doesn't say they had any fish left over. So it must have been good fish, even if it wasn't big. By the time Jesus broke the, or distributed that fish, they liked it. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Now, where did they get this idea from? And for that, we'd have to go back to Deuteronomy where Moses promises that there would be prophets that would follow him that the people needed to listen to. And Moses indicating, and as we know, following the time of Moses, there are many, many prophets that came along and, and the Jews, depending on what particular stage they were at in their history, either listened to the prophets or didn't. But these people were associating Jesus with one of these prophets that Moses mentioned. In fact, they thought, okay, this is the one we've been waiting for. Jesus, knowing what they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. So they're looking at this guy who just fed them miraculously, comparing him to Moses. And we'll find out later in the chapter, they, they hoped that Jesus would kind of do what Moses did. They wanted to make him king. Well, why did they want to make him king? Because they were under Roman oppression. And they, their idea of the Messiah who would come 
would free them from the Romans. So they thought, okay, here is a person who has shown he can do miraculous things. Let's make him our king and he'll help us get out from under the Romans. Now, was Jesus the king? Pilate asked him, are you king of the Jews? And Jesus said, yes, I am. So Jesus was already the king, but not in the same sense that they were looking for. They were looking for a physical king who would, who would deal with their physical needs. Jesus was a spiritual king, and he was looking at their spiritual needs. And we'll see that as we go on here. Satan had already offered Jesus the kingdom on earth, and Jesus had resisted that temptation when he faced Satan in the, in the wilderness. And now the people want to make Jesus a king. Jesus already passed that test. He knew he wasn't going to be made a king by the people, no more than by Satan. So he withdraws again to a mountain by himself. And now we get to verse 16. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake. Now this, there's a parallel passage in both Mark and Matthew that I'll draw from as we look at this story a little bit. The, the real truth at this point is that Jesus told the disciples to get in a boat. And that's important as we look at what follows this. So in obedience, these guys get in a boat and they're supposed to go to Capernaum. They're supposed to actually go west across the Sea of Galilee. Now these are experienced fishermen and um, many of them. Jesus doesn't go with him, all right? He, Jesus wants to go spend time with his father, as he's done many times here. But in this case, he wants to be alone um, and just do what he does quite often, which we should also, and spend time with our Heavenly Father. They got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. Okay, the Sea of Galilee, which is what they were on, is 600 feet below sea level. It's surrounded by high mount or hills. And there are times when the, the air cools at night and the wind sweeps down from those hills and it creates kind of a Venturi effect, if some of you are familiar with that. It really whips up the wind and the waves. Now, this isn't the first time the disciples had been caught in the middle of a lake of Galilee with a storm coming up. You may remember the first time, which is recorded for us in Matthew, where Jesus at that time was in the boat. And that time when the storm came up, the disciples, it says they were very much afraid. They asked Jesus, Aren't you, don't you care that we're going to drown here? And Jesus does something really interesting in the Matthew account with the first storm. You remember that he rebukes the waves, but before he rebukes the sea and the sea calms down, he rebukes the disciples at that point. He says, Do you got, don't you have enough faith to believe that, that we'll be taken care of here? So he rebukes the disciples first, then he rebukes the sea and the waves calm down as you remember that story. So Jesus isn't with them this time. And it doesn't say that they're afraid of the storm, which might mean they learned their lesson from the previous time. So they're, they, they're frustrated. But we don't see that they're afraid of the storm in this case. The, the waters grew rough, verse 19, when they had rowed three or three and a half miles. Okay, they're about halfway across the lake. And we learn from the other uh, 
gospel accounts, it was between 3 and 6 o'clock in the morning, the fourth watch. So they've been at this for many, many hours. If they left at dusk, which would make sense, now they're in the, way past the middle of the night. And they're, and they're only halfway across the lake and not making much headway. They're trying hard, but imagine, if you will, you know, you got guys rowing. That's what they're doing. You've been rowing for eight hours and you're still about the same spot you were a couple hours ago. So they have this frustration. And then they see Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water. Now they're terrified. Why? Well, the other Gospels say they thought he was a ghost. Do you believe in ghosts? That's a rabbit trail I probably shouldn't go down, but just for what it's worth, the freebie. When when people die, they die, and, and they don't stay on earth. So if there are spirits or ghosts, that's not people left behind. We're getting close to Halloween, and I know, again, we'll stay away from that topic, but we could go there. Um, the spirits that are around, and I have a, a friend that I taught with when I was teaching who lived in a haunted house, but he did. He lived in a haunted I mean, he described stuff for me. That's Satan doing that kind of stuff because it brings fear. All right. So there aren't ghosts per se from people left behind. There are ghosts from, you know, we've, we battle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, the evil things of this world. So, um, yeah, I don't want to talk about Halloween too much because I'll probably get shoot out of here. I don't, you know, passing out candy, that's okay. I don't mind. I like candy. But uh, some of the other stuff associated with Halloween, we could certainly do without. All right. Enough of that for right now. So, but Jesus appears to them. He had appeared for them once, once another time that he, remember, remember that they thought he was a ghost. That was after his resurrection. And he, he comes in the room without going through the door. So again, he has to tell them, don't be afraid, it's I. So here he says it again. It's I, don't be afraid. Now we know from, I think it's Mark's Gospel, that Jesus had been watching them from the hill. He'd been keeping an eye on them. And again, that's important for us because sometimes when we follow God in obedience, it's not easy. We could still... And they were following Jesus in obedience. He's the one that told them to get in the boat and go across the lake. So they were obeying him, but in their obedience, they ran into some rough water, as we will sometimes. But it's also really good to remember Jesus is watching. And it's also good to remember the answer may come in a form that we don't expect. And that's what scared these guys. They didn't expect Jesus to come walking across on the water, but he did. But he had to tell him at that point, okay, cool it, guys. It's just me. I'm not a ghost. All right. Then they were willing to take him into the boat. Now, before they do that, and again, we get this from one of the other, I think it's Matthew. That's the whole thing about Peter. All right. That's one of our favorite things to, one of our favorite little miracles. Peter, who, who says, Jesus, if it's real to you, tell me, come and join you. And Jesus says, okay, come on. And so Peter gets out of the boat. Remember, it's still storming, right? Jesus hasn't calmed the waters yet. 
You got Peter, impetuous Peter, climbing out of the boat and heading for Jesus on the water, walking for a ways. And then he looks down and he sees the waves, or looks up and sees the waves, probably, whatever. Peter gets scared and, and starts to sink. As long as Peter had faith, he stayed on top of the water. When he lost his faith, down he went. And then Jesus rescues him. There's so many lessons in that for us. Jesus rescues Peter and they both get in the boat. Now, we may criticize Peter for his lack of faith, but let me tell you something. For the rest of Peter's life, he looked back on that and say, I may not have got all the way there, but I'm the only guy that ever walked on the water. He is, right? I can't think of any other human that walked on the water as long as Peter did. He may not have walked all the way to Jesus, but at least he got a ways. So I think that's cool that Peter could look back at the rest of his life and say, but I at least got partway on the water. All right. All right. So then they, um, they get in the boat. They're willing to take him into the boat. And here's a cool thing. Immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. All right. From the other Gospels, Jesus calms the waves. But now you got a boat that's still several miles from shore. These guys are dead tired. They want to you know, do a little sleep before the activities the next day, I'm sure. Jesus doesn't make them row the last three miles. All, right. All of a sudden, they're on the other shore. Ah, that's so cool. I like that. All right. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples but that they had gone away alone. All right. So now they're wondering, all right, we know Jesus didn't get in the boat, so he's still here probably. So they look around for him and don't see him. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. How come there's other boats on the shore now? Because the wind blew them there. That west wind that the disciples were trying to go against. All right. These other boats from Tiberias had also been victim of that same storm and they had ended up against the shoreline where Jesus had been. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. So now they're following. The same crowd that got this free meal the day before must have been pretty good bread and pretty good fish. They want some more of it. Or they want to see some more miracles. All right. Verse 25, they found him on the other side of the lake. They asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Well, that's a pretty logical question because they knew he didn't get in the boat. There was only one boat there. They didn't believe Jesus walked all the way around the shoreline five miles in the dark. So they're very curious to know, all right, when did you get here? How did you get here? Jesus doesn't answer that question. He could have said, well, I walked across on the water. And they would say, oh, wow, another miracle. But he, he, doesn't, he doesn't address that question because he's got more important things to ask him. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you're looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. All right. So Jesus is, is focusing their attention, basically. You're interested in the physical. You want your needs met here, you know, but I've got a bigger picture in mind. Do not work for food that spoils. 
an interesting phrase. I was working on this message yesterday afternoon in our living room, and uh, my wife brought to my attention that I had left a half a loaf of bread on the cupboard for a couple of days, and she said, you know, the bread's moldy. This is, oh no. So she threw it away. But it was interesting that that showed up when I was doing this. All right. Food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. All right. Jesus is trying to get them to focus on what's eternal. Now, he calls himself the Son of Man. Does it. 81 times in the Gospels. It's kind of a non-threatening thing. It comes from the book of Daniel, actually, where the, the phrase in the Old Testament that Jesus is relating to. The Son of Man, he could have called himself the Messiah, but he didn't want them to focus their attention on the Messiah that they were looking for. He wanted them to focus attention on the fact that he was the go-between. In fact, he says that the Father has placed his seal of approval. When did that happen? What happened at Jesus' baptism when the Father gave the seal of approval that Jesus said, this is my beloved Son, hear Him. Then they asked Him, what must we do to do the works that God requires? And they, and he's, they want a list. Because it's, it's easier to do a list than it is to do belief that they want. Jesus says the work that we require the work, he says in verse 29, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So, sometimes it's easier to get a list of stuff to do. And the Pharisees had already given a list. They wanted an update. They said, all right, tell us what to do. Jesus said, what you need to do is believe. All right. So, he goes on to talk about this, the bread of life. The first of the I am statements in John, and there are many of them. I am the light of the world, the door of the sheep, the good shepherd, the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth and the life. I am the vine. All of these recorded for us in the Gospel of John. So I'd like to keep you here longer, but I know you get antsy if I, you know. So, but I do want to talk a little bit about the, the situation. We're, we're in kind of a tough world today. I mean, think, think about it. But, as Bruce mentioned in his prayer, God is still in charge. And, you know, I know you guys are starting the book of Esther. I did a sneak preview on last week's message, so I knew it. One of my favorite verses in Esther has to do with for such a time as this, and I know that you're familiar with that verse. I am excited to be alive for such a time as this because I really believe that God has some fantastic things in store I think the devil's on a chain. I think it's about to get jerked. You know, history records two great awakenings so far in history, one in the 1700s, one in the 1800s. I am anticipating the third great awakening. I think people are getting sick and tired of what the devil's been able to do um, through his agents. I think it's a great time to be alive, and I'm excited for us that God has chosen us to be alive at this time. And I think we're going to see some, some awesome things happen in the very near future. I'm just happy to be part of that. But be ready for an answer for the hope that lies within you because I also have a feeling that there are people that you are associated with that are going to be ready to hear the gospel. 
be ready for that. Be, be devoted to prayer and, and be devoted to your relationship with God. Be ready with an answer for that hope that lies within us because I feel like we're going to be able to do some really good sharing of that in the time to come. So <clears throat> with that, let's close in prayer. Thank you, Lord, that you are who you said you are, that you have the answers, that you are the bread of life, that you fulfill our spiritual longings, and that you're very capable of doing that. Give us an openness, a hunger for you. And in the days to come, Lord, whatever you have in store for us, we pray, Lord, that we would be in the center of your will. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. 